Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentalists podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm here with my friend Pete, Pete, Pete. If you don't understand what that is in reference to, folks, that was my attempt at the NPC trend. Uh, and I'm here. Uh, we're going to discuss this as we always do when it is at the height of the cultural conversation um, about give or take a month or two. And Pete had this idea to talk about the NPC trend. If you're not familiar, there is a social media app called TikTok where a lot of young people and older people um, will get in online and they'll share short videos and sometimes they're very entertaining and what tiktok really is is it is a haven for trends spur of the moment trends that take off and uh become cultural topics of the conversation for a second and then off they go into the ether and this one is particularly interesting um i thought I you guess. were gonna say it's, it's a it's a chain it's an arm of the chinese government that's what i thought you were gonna say oh and it is was. it does spy on you <laughs> Yeah. And it, it was taking all of your information, apparently. Yeah. Um, I do not do TikToks. I do enjoy a TikTok here and there. The NPC trend is very strange. And NPC stands for non-playable character. So it's a reference from video games. If you're not familiar with video games, an NPC is a type of character who has a pre-written script that when you talk to them, they can't really deviate much from it because they are not real characters. They're just sort of around the town or whatever. You walk up, you say something, and maybe they... Uh, you walk away for a second, and you go back, and they'll say the exact same thing because they're not—they're not that in depth. They're NPCs. There's nothing really going on there, and so these people will kind of do these TikToks, and they'll respond to gifts that are given. So, a little background information. First of all, Pete, how you doing? I'm good. I'm realizing I look a bit messy. I need to get my hair cut, but yes, life is good. Uh, I'm just, good. Yep, that's pretty much my catch up. <laughs> That's great. And that yeah. was really good. And, that, and Peter Rollins, everybody. Uh, so <laughs> the TikTok trend, supposedly, this information comes from one of my favorite YouTubers uh, that I, one of the only YouTubers I still watch uh, or do watch. He's also a neighbor, uh, humble brag. Nick Ooh. is not green. And he does these really fun Gen Z online journalist videos. And I find him to be very smart and funny. So shout out to him. Um, oh. He was informing me that the TikTok trend most likely had its genesis back in 2022 by a creator in, uh, from Japan named Natu Koko, who would kind of get online, do something very similar to the NPC trend, but it didn't blow up until the famed Pinky Doll video uh, got famous. And Pinky Doll uh, has been accused, supposedly, of stealing the trend from Natu Koko, but Pinky Doll uh, says, no, she just merely popularized it. And um, I would agree with Nick that, you know, who cares? And so Pinky Doll <laughs> would do these videos for uh, six hours a day, seven days a week. And um, she basically lost, I believe it was a cleaning company that she was working with. Her mom on it fell by the wayside. She needed a way to make money for her daughter, I believe, or at least her child. We can keep it broad strokes. And so she started getting on TikTok, and originally she was making about $250 a day, which is still a significant amount for any kind of live streamer, but it blew up. And Pinky Doll eventually started getting twenty to 40,000 live viewers per six hours a day, and that equated to up to $7,000. Um, a day and she would do this by sitting in front of a camera for hours and saying the same things over and over again that aligned with the gifts that were given by the viewers so the viewer gets to send a diamond or a, a hot dog or whatever these little um, things are these little emojis that you pay for and the creator gets half a cent per uh, whatever gift it is. And so you can imagine that you have to amass an extremely high amount of viewers, an extremely high amount of uh, gifts in order for that to make any sense. People have talked about the um, psychological um, appeal to this. They say that it is just a sporadic dopamine triggering reward that keeps people hooked, similar to all forms of social media. It has been ca called kind of a dumbing down of basically all of the live stream gift um, dynamic where a live streamer will make their money based off of um, uh, gifts from their viewers. And so this is just stripping all of that down to the bare minimum. And uh, as a result, she's getting her, her money and she's able to support her family by doing something that is very weird. But we're going to talk about the philosophical or psychoanalytic version of it. That was very good. Uh, wow, well done. That was, you, you know, read I just that really article off. well. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's my own notes. 
Yeah, that was very good. I'm very impressed. Uh, who, who's the podcaster, by the way? Your neighbor? I'm interested in him. Yeah, Nick, Nick is green. not green. Nick is not green. Okay. Yeah, he um he's great. I discovered him and then um saw him walking around the, my neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I was like, I DM'd him and I was like, dude, we I I, I think we're we're, we're buds because he had followed me uh, back in the day, and I I have a lot of respect for the kid. He's so young and he's so smart, and that's what yeah. you like. You like to see the youngins be be cool and he's done some really funny videos too very so. good well here before um before we go on to the npcs in the way you're talking there was another way the term was used that was political that i thought was interesting as well like just as you were talking um i, I love this way of using it yeah it was like it must have been a couple of years ago where i heard the phrase where an npc is somebody who basically parrots whatever the big other whatever the societal common senses without uh kind of critical thinking uh, and i thought yes. oh that's a very clever use of the term <laughs> so good that's dude so it, it when i heard it used in because uh, yeah i heard it used in relation to like you talk to someone and they just spout fox news talking points all oh, the yeah. time and you can tell that it's just they're just fed programming like they come off like they're programmed and it does sound very often like you're not talking it feels like you're not talking to a real person not that that's exclusive to one side of the political spectrum because certainly there are people you can talk to especially in LA who are uh doing the same thing we're like oh you're not a real there's nothing going on there behind yeah. the uh behind the eyes <laughs> well that's funny because I heard it primarily used by conservatives about progressives but you're saying you really primarily oh yeah that's where I first heard it is uh so but you can kind of was that funny. when you were in was that when you were in your Russell Brand chat room, your Discord, that's, your Russell that, Brand? <laughs> that's when I was club? in my four chan. <laughs> that's when I was in my four chan grip. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah, Russell Brand. It's a very topical one to talk about. Yeah, it's too topical. <laughs> yeah, too topical well, in a month. for us. Yes, exactly. We're we're like a little mini version of Hegel. Hegel famously said, "The Isle of Minerva spreads her wings at dusk." which means basically that philosophy is best when it comes in after the dust has settled, after something nice. has happened. You know, philosophy is not good at the beginning to predict things, whatever, but once, the, once everything's done, so the fact that we're doing NPCs when probably the trend is over is very on yeah. brand and yep. very, I think, philosophically good. So there you go. We're doing um, a great job. And yeah. if we, we want to mimic the NPC thing, people can always sign up at patreon.com slash the fundamentalists because we will do even less there than the npc <laughs> people do and i think that's yes. that there's value in that so. oh i know that's I, not feel true. So, I feel eternally bad about our patreon um it takes two seconds there's five people in there we'll, we'll okay, be all right that's good okay we'll good and, and we'll we're re- back this is our third one in a row i'm very excited about this. yeah um oh yeah so the 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 that use of the npc which is not what we're talking about necessarily or we well we may but uh it is interesting, the idea that we can be mouthpieces for uh, ideas that are in the ether, that are kind of like given by corporations or news systems, news media, and we, we don't actually kind of subjectively think about it ourselves. We just pass it on as, as if it's kind of gossip. And, uh, you know, that, that just feels... I think we did... We did a, we did a podcast on Kierkegaard and, and gossip one time, I remember. And uh, I think we talked about how, you know, you can say something that you believe or you can say something that somebody else believes uh, or you can say something that is just kind of like, kind of, I can't remember how, how Kierkegaard said it, but it's like in news where you kind of pass on, you don't, you don't believe it and you're not saying anybody, you're just saying people say, they say, it is said, and this is where you don't take responsibility for what you're saying. Nobody else is really taking responsibility, but you're still passing it on. And, um, that, and so in a, in a way, you're a non-playing character because you're not subjectively invested in what you're doing at all. Just like in those prayer wheels where you can literally put a prayer in a wheel and turn the wheel and it prays for you and you can be looking at porn- pornography or something. doesn't matter subjectively. The, the, the you're prayer. talking about bingo? I think that's bingo. <laughs> that's bingo. Maybe what are you it talking is, about? Actually. I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, there's, I think, um, I think you, you get that the prayer wheel is an Islamic thing. You also get it in hmm. some forms of orthodoxy and Christianity. Not the prayer wheel, but the idea that 
you ob- there's an object objective dimension to faith, so you don't have to be even. It's not true of Pascal. This is the, this isn't a great reading of Pascal, but he says if you don't believe, just kneel and pray. You don't have to subjectively believe it, objectively engage with it, uh, and that's a that's a common view, idea you see in some ancient religions, which is and very Catholic Seems as well. Right. Yeah, so you you don't have to believe. Yes, you just do the you do the routine. Uh, the subjectivity is kind of not that important. Can I can I let me ask you something, Pete? I yeah have had a sudden surge in interest about Catholicism and mm. about that kind of objective engagement with it. And I know that that is part of a trend yes. of millennials getting back into Orthodox or, or some kind of religious thing. Yeah. And it happened organic. It felt like it happened organically where I was reading stuff and I was like, I, I've never been to a mass. I don't know what that's like. And it's, I don't, it seems so, uh, interesting and my uh, wife grew up Catholic and I was like hey let's go to uh, a mass some Sunday or whatever you would call it a church that is Catholic and she was like she's like it's so boring she was like it's just so it's, she was like I don't and I think she had her like I don't want to go back to those days of being Catholic but why am I why am I interested in Catholicism it's something I'm relatively okay What's going on? Is that part of the same thing? Am I echoing the trend of my generational anxiety? Yeah, I mean, the trad revival is huge among kind of the left. Uh, there's a move, There's various moves, and one of the moves, as you say, is the trad. And I know a lot of people I respect who have kind of gone that direction uh, for a variety of reasons. So, so let me say one kind of reason. There's a few, I think, but um, within progressive... We've talked about this a lot before, but, you know, within kind of like a, mm. a very uh, a place where everything is possible, where, as Lacan says, if God, if God is dead, nothing is impossible, i.e. there's, there's just, uh, you can do whatever you want, but it actually causes, up, causes huge amounts of anxiety and subjective anxiety, it, it burnout, fatigue, etc., that going into uh, kind of traditional Orthodox religion can really help to uh, minimize that anxiety i mean that's one yeah way we've had to um at times have conversations in our house about the dog and about putting boundaries on the dog because when i came into the relationship goose had no boundaries whatsoever and she also had a heightened a higher level of anxiety all the time because there were no rules and she could go anywhere and she didn't have a place like a uh, bed or enclosed space and i was like dogs do thrive off of some kind of like rule like some kind of boundary so that they can feel like a they're in part of a pack and they can go into their cave and we eventually started doing that here and there and giving her being a little more strict with her and she's been a lot better in recent years and i think maybe that's part of it and so basically i'm just like the dog yes you're just i've thought that many times and and here's the thing about orthodoxy is like it with within evangelicalism you, you do subjective belief is important in fact it's it's kind of primary that the first thing you have to do yeah. is subjectively say you know i believe in jesus christ whatever you know the kind of confession and then you go into the objective practices so subjective belief is very very important within orthodoxy it's really the rituals that are the most important you you belong and you behave before yeah. so for example in evangelicalism you believe behave belong so you you subjectivize the belief. You say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Then you behave as in you pray and you repent. You engage in that behavior that, that kind of countersigns the subjective affirmation. And then you belong. You enter into the community of practice. But within, say, Ju- Judaism, you have, you know, it's just like an infant. A baby belongs before there's any belief. They belong to the family. And then comes behavior. They engage in the behaviors of the family. They go out and walks. They play games on a Saturday night. They eat at six o'clock, whatever it is. And subjective belief comes last. And at first, the kid believes everything the parents believe and then nothing the parents believe and then somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the move to the trad move as well is it's, it's people um, who don't want or aren't able and, you know, to embrace subjectively some of these beliefs, but want objectively a certain set of uh, ancient 
practices like 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 you know Freud almost says like he says obsession is a private religion so the the anxious child doesn't step on the cracks in the pavement or touches taps the same amount of time you know a kid plays with all sorts of obsessional games that help to alleviate the anxiety of of their own fragility um and so in a way you know you could say that orthodoxy provides a set of practices that can feel like a bam in relation to modern society i'm not i'm not i you know i'm skeptical of the move but i i can understand it you know man you really had that locked and loaded <laughs> that was really good that was so like yeah that's nailed it good stuff um i do feel like there's a way to tie this into the npc thing yes yes oh there is there is yes in fact you have the subjective the lack of subjective belief in what they're doing, just an objective thing where they're, and then they, you know, they're getting money. And then the person, they get a sense of control and stability because they can go, hey, say this weird thing over and over again. No, you're absolutely right. Like there's a real connection because what you have with the NBC, like Pinky Doll is, it's, it's a kind of the whole thing is about, she's not subjectively there at all. She responds to the demands of the other she is just an instrument of the other's demand it's a very perverse structure actually because the, the ultimate perverse fantasy is i am there utterly for the pleasure of the other um i am a i am a vehicle for the other's pleasure um in in some sort so in one sense you could say it's a kind of ground zero perverse fantasy but it, as you say it's a, it's almost like um i do think i'm Again, we've talked about this, but uh, that there is a real anxiety about engaging with the subjective dimension of the other. There's a with with a, with what we can call a toxic other, because there's a toxic dimension to us all. And this NPC is a way to kind of like have pure objectivity. The other is just a doll, like Pinky Doll. You know, the the name says it. Like Pinky it's right is there. just yeah, it's feminine and doll, which is like just you know, a non-subjective, purely objective material thing that, uh, that then you play with and responds to you. And, and yet, here's the funny thing, is like whenever NPCs break character, people get a huge amount of enjoyment from that. Um, I, I haven't seen that too much, but I, I saw one thing with, like with the Pinky Doll broke character once and everybody loves yeah. that because at the end of the day, what terrifies us is also what draws us which is the subjectivity of the other you know so deep down we're kind of drawn to who is pinky doll like what lies behind mm -hmm. this yeah this and it makes mask. it feel more I, her um her accent was so i think different like she had a different accent when she breaks character like you see the real oh, yeah. person shine through because i think it was her daughter um that was like getting in trouble or something and she was like just immediately stopped and then I'm sure the viewers get to be like, oh my gosh, we're seeing something unique and special. Uh, another thing that I heard said was that the amount of, like the retention that people have for these things, um, like getting 40 to 60,000 live viewers is a pretty insane number, but the amount, the retention where people aren't dropping off and they'll actually stick with the person is apparently incredibly uh high for this trend and so people will for hours like keep watching this so it's not like oh you get on and you see it for a second it's like you're it hooks you really really hard it hooks the viewer and keeps them there for the duration of the live stream which i think is so interesting because it's such a simple formula yes yeah it's it's i mean there's so many interesting dimensions about it you mentioned the dopamine hit you know it's like but yeah what is it that you know like i i do think that one of the one of the things about sexual encounters which is always traumatic and i think even more traumatic today is um having to talk about what turns you on and having to kind of like navigate the weirdness of sexual dynamics you know um and again if you can just kind of very safely get something sexual i mean this is more like only fans but you just pay you get what you want yeah. there's no awkward conversations now i don't know if that connects too much with npcs because it's not explicitly sexual but there is a sexual dimension to something yeah like for sure 
Um, this is um, incredibly uh, like kink adjacent. Yes, yes. And I kind of wonder, I don't think I'm on the right lines here necessarily, but whenever I talk about like the ground zero kind of perverse fantasy of the other is an instrument of uh, my pleasure or I am an instrument of the other's pleasure where kind of like there, then there is a sense in which that pure, the other, there is like, there is no subjective other. They literally are just doing what you want. I think there's something inherently sexual about that that I think appeals to us all, not just a perverse structure, but there's, there's something that's very appealing yeah. to that, that maybe it's touching on. I think it's, I was talking to a buddy about it and it is that like, dominating sub thing the dom sub yeah sort of situation except the the punchline is like in well it's not even a punchline just like in those situations the person who is seemingly the object of desire is actually the one who's um like in control because the person who's doing the npc thing is just like raking in cash and their mind can be anywhere else and they have complete control over tens of thousands of people at any given moment so it's like yes it's weird when you see it because you're like oh we're objectifying and it's strange but they're in like they're doing this for a reason and they're they're you know they can stop it at any time and then they're making more money than i am so that's great yeah and, and that's very what you say is very true in terms of pseudomasochism it is generally uh the masochist who is actually in control that's the kind of that's the the secret is that um, they're usually the ones who introduce their partner to it. They're usually the ones who kind of create the scenes and and yet attempt to make it look like the other is in control. And then there's an interesting dynamics. I don't know if you've seen the movie Sanctuary. It's absolutely brilliant movie. Just came out last year. It's a comedy um, about masochism, and uh, it's like it's a it's like a play. It's a two person movie. Um, a man who's very wealthy and he's just inherited his father's kind of multi-million dollar business. And then the, this woman who he pays to dominate her, or to dominate him. And then basically he's breaking up with her. So the whole movie, and I'm not giving anything away because this happens quite early on, but he's basically in the nicest possible way saying to her, we've got to stop doing this. I have to take over my father's business. And it's been really fun. Uh, and then... The whole movie is about the power dynamic and the play between these two figures. Absolutely brilliant movie, definitely worth watching. Um, but it, you know what you're saying is Pinky Doll has the power. You know she's she's you know acting as this powerless figure, but she's created all the rules and um, can kind of come out of it at any time. So it's an interesting dynamic, yeah. the power relation. Yeah. It's interesting too the the because TikTok is such a generator of these things. My understanding is that like if you get on TikTok and just you do a lot of content, like you create a lot of content, inevitably one of them will will blow up in some way. What TikTok does differently it, than say YouTube back in my day is, and I've heard about this from like um, some folks who went to VidCon, which is like the Comic Con of of you know video entertainment basically and vidcon was founded by john and hank green who were the vlog who are the vlog brothers and then it got bought by tiktok and now if you go to vidcon the youtubers are maybe some of them are still there but the real thing is tiktok it's all the tiktok creators except apparently when they do the meet and greets no one shows up for the TikToks because the TikTokers, even though they make they amass all these millions and millions of followers, the the community oriented thing or the stuff like I want to meet this person because I feel a relationship to them isn't there anymore because TikTok uh, is so transient uh, in nature. So I yes. think it's interesting. And you mentioned this because actually Elliot uh, suggested a different possible topic, which we'll probably do next week uh, on parasocial relations and. I, you know, we've talked about this before privately, but what you give people with SourceFed is a kind of like friends thing. It's like you were, yeah. people got to know you, they got to hang out. They, and I, I yes, how can you feel that in the same way with a TikTok dancer? Um, yeah. Whereas instead with you guys, it's like you were sitting maybe for hours just chatting on a sofa. And even if some of it was scripted and it was like, like whatever, there was also a sense of, 
I don't know that I I got to know mm-hmm. you as a person. Yeah, it was like a talk show more than or like a performative, um, like yeah, improv type talk show, variety show more so than a. Here is a single piece of content that has been constructed in such a way that you can't help but like watch it and and share it a little bit. Like there's mm-hmm. this thing on TikTok, dude, where and I, I sometimes feel like I'm just a genius for spotting this this stuff and then i find out that it's like common knowledge the next day but there there's a thing where a lot of these tiktok videos you'll hear hysteric laughing in the background because laughter is contagious and so you'll hear and i was like i think these i think this is fake like i think people are adding hysteric laughter to other videos and then reposting them because it makes it more shareable and apparently that's exactly what was happening people it'll be like a like that kind of like gasping for air, like you just can't believe, like you you're about to fall out of your chair, laughter, and they'll put that faintly in the background, and then you watch it, and it makes the video funnier. It's like a yes. laugh track. It's the return of the laugh track, basically, and they it's just more covert, uh, and may, well maybe less covert because it's pretty obviously fake. So yeah, and you know that reminds me of the theory, and Shizak speaks about this very well, but it's a, an idea that the laugh track we we often think that the laugh track is there. To kind of almost like a you know Pavlov's dog to kind of tell us when to laugh. We're tired. We sit down. The laugh track kind of is contagious in the sense that I will start to laugh. But what what I think they find is the laugh track laughs on your behalf. It laughs so you don't have to. So actually, what you do nice. is you sit down and you passively just watch a show. And and so it's almost like a version of the professional crier at a funeral. The point of the crier is, in a sense, they cry for you. In a, in a way, they're, they're, they're crying. Obje- Again, the subjective-subjective thing is you don't have to subjectively cry. You don't have to subjectively laugh. The, the show kind of laughs mm-hmm. for you. And I wonder whether this passivity is actually very key to, to TikTok, because I've watched TikTok, um, and, and there's something incredibly passive about it. Like, I also remember when I was a kid, I think I preferred watching people play computer games to playing them myself. Like I, and I see that now as a trend on YouTube and stuff where people will spend hours watching somebody play Minecraft. Um, but I remember being like that. Like I would go around to someone's house and they'd go like, oh, do you want to do you want to play? And I was like, you know what? I actually just love sitting here passively watching you play and taking the piss out of you. Right. So, yeah. Um, the, and that that's an interesting thing about, again, human beings that sometimes we uh again we're, we're maybe we're overwhelmed and uh passively mm. having something laugh for us having someone dance for us having having someone do these things and and we don't actually ha- all we have to do is passively watch it and somehow we feel we've participated in the act yeah i saw one time a clip of i think it was big bang theory and they'd taken the laugh track out yeah. um, and just played it again and it is uh, unnerving oh yeah to say the least and then ev- of course everyone goes oh see it's not that funny without the laugh track it's not that funny but i think you're right it's like even with the laugh track you're just going like it's just white noise in the back background same with podcasts people put on a podcast and they leave it in the background because you know it's more like you're hanging out with them um the npc thing i mean are you gonna get into, are you gonna get involved in it or are you gonna try it on your own you know that that would be amazing I, what would be what would be the philosophy equivalent that I would you say, just do like, yeah, you'd have to just be like, you'd have to just say random philosophers, wouldn't you? Yes, philosophical You're, ideas. God is dead. Every time somebody puts up a little skull, God is dead. God is little, dead. A little, little like crack would be. Uh-huh. We are all fractured. You know. <laughs> yeah, you could do it. And then the for I don't know if folks have seen. I, most people because it's been out forever. But like the way they do the body movements. Oh, I think yeah. it's very funny. And I've also seen the body movement thing, the NPC thing, appear in things that aren't the NPC trend, just as part of like a TikTok thing or part of a, a reel on Instagram. And so mm-hmm. it'll be like a single shot of someone who's just like doing this like movement, this swaying back and forth. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they won't mention it. It'll just be one like frame of them doing that. And I'm like, whoa, man, we need to just, we need some kind, we need to get the internet needs to blow up or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it, some of this stuff does feel like you're watching uh, some parody from the 80s. Like, remember, I think it was Running Man. Uh, 
the original Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like it would have these adverts of you know it was set in the future and it would be like some crazy thing or that that um, Sylvester Stallone one Demolition Man, and it had all of these visions of the future and weird things and and some of them are happening like if in Demolition Man you had an advert where you had Pinky Doll doing her yeah, thing, it would make sense. We would just be laughing like that's you know, what a hilarious satire about the future. But oh, it's weird. Have you seen satire. that um, the the Matthew McConaughey from Interstellar meme? I think I might have sent it to you, but it's it's millennials looking at Gen Z on TikTok, and it's it's Matthew McConaughey when he starts to cry on the ship in Interstellar, and he's watching his family, but it's instead it's Pinky Doll, and he that's just starts right. losing it and reaching out and just being like, "What are you doing?" Oh man, oh, got me no. so good. It's absolutely brilliant, absolutely. And you know, there is. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I think there it is some. There's something to it though, where it's like I trust. There's something so vapid about it that I think it's self-aware and it's vapidity. Mm-hmm. And Gen Z is really good about being like, even just their fashion right now is very much the '90s are coming back, like the the oversized t-shirts and oversized jeans. And I never thought that stuff would come back, even though you hear that fashion always, like, comes in cycles or whatever. And I'm like, it's still kind of cool. Like, I like what the kids are doing. And they seem to be smart enough to be like, we're not playing this game of, like, this is cringe or not cringe. We're just going to do this stuff, and it it is what it is. And I think that's kind of fun. No, that's true. Like, some of it is self-aware. Some of it's ironic. Some of it is the dream of society sedimented. And again, like that's how I look at a lot of this stuff is I don't look at it as good or bad as such as I look at it as the dream of the society or one of the dreams of the society, one of the sedimentations of where we are. And sometimes it's, um, say it's ironically done. Sometimes it's sincerely done. Um, but we can tell a lot about the world by looking at all of these trends and what's happening and they tell us just like when you listen to your dreams they tell you things about yourself that you might not otherwise encounter like when you look at the movies and the art and the trends of a society you kind of start to uncover you know how society is structured and that's that's kind of fascinating um, and, yeah, and oh, a this lot is of where we are uh, yeah and a lot of this like a lot of things i see is the the fear fear of the other in some respects. Have you ever seen the movie Dark City? No. No. Oh, it's brilliant. It's one of the best sci-fi movies I think has ever been made. I think it was around the same time as the first Matrix. I could be wrong about that, but it wasn't a well-known movie, but absolutely brilliant. Dark City. Is this one that... I, no, I'm thinking of something else. Describe yeah. it. What is it? Well, I hope I'm getting the name right. So <laughs> um, it's basically... It's a kind of noir sci-fi where human beings are being experimented on by some highly technologically advanced aliens. Now, they don't know this. And what what the aliens have done is they've recreated a city like New York, and it's always dark. And at night, everybody goes to sleep and the aliens change everything. So one day you might be rich, the next day you're poor. One day you're a teacher, the next day you're a doctor. And they're doing all these weird experiments and nobody knows that they're being experimented on. And the movie is about a guy who kind of discovers this and you know cool. tries to break free. Um, but what's really fascinating about the movie, and I recommend it to anybody, but is um, the, the premise is that this highly technologically advanced civilization is dying. And they're trying to figure out what is it that is unique about humans or about life, human life, like say self-conscious life. They're trying to find what is the essential identity. So they're changing everything. One day you're rich, one day you're poor, one day you're good and evil. And they're trying to find what is the thing that stays. The common denominator. Common denominator, exactly. The common denominator. And they think that if they can locate that, this could be the key to their survival. And I love that movie because for me, and this actually relates to you. I've got a friend, I think I've told you about, really good guy, but he believes we live in a simulation. And one of his theories is that this is a simulation, one of countless simulations uh, created by highly intelligent civilization. 
And one of his theories about why we live in and are a simulation is that this, it's, it's basically Dark City. Um, his theory is, and I think it might be a common theory, I'm not sure, uh, is that this, this highly advanced civilization is trying to figure out what is it that all life has in common? And by running millions of simulations, uh, they're finding out what is the essential thing that that is life itself. Now, the sad thing is these aliens, all they needed to do is read Hegel and Lacan and they would know the yeah, answer. I know, yeah. they don't need to do all these simulations, which, which is the idea that um, there is no, like uh, this is identity politics in its most, uh, its most philosophical form is that we're, there's some identity, some concrete positive thing that we are. Uh, whereas, you know, for Hegel and Lacan, it's like, well, what you ultimately come to is that there is an ultimate mystery. There is an ultimate inability to answer that question. And that's what we share in common. We share an, a universal negation, a universal negative. We are all castrated. But um, the reason why I share that is because when I look at like the NPCs, um, you know, it's a way of, in a sense, trying to avoid that what's called das Ding or object A, that mm -hmm. dimension of the other, their desire. Um, but at the same time, that's what we're repulsed by and that's what we're attracted to in the other. Like we, we are endlessly fascinated by the dimension of the other we don't understand. And sometimes it's sexual, right? We kind of don't understand why, say guys, it's often guys like that. And, wh and why is a guy attracted to that? So the, there's that common thing where men look at women and women look at women. And the idea is that something that often women look at is they look at another woman to go, why is she desirable? Or why is mm -hmm. that outfit desirable? What, what is it that evokes a desire? And, but for men, and not only for men, it can sometimes be um, excitement and, and emotionality. It's like, oh, that's, they're around a person who responds and reacts to things in a way they don't quite understand, and it enlivens them, right? It's like, I don't quite understand why you're like this, but that's, but it also, that's the part that you end up disliking about the person, their sexual weirdness or their, or their emotionality, but it's, it's what mm -hmm. draws us and repels us at the same time. That's the, that's the dusting. Very nice. Um, I was, uh, thinking about how the, on the note of, um, it's sort of the sediment of where the culture is at right now, oh, yeah. but in regard to that dark city um, movie, it seems like it also came out around the same time as the Truman show or the same year as the Truman show uh, and around the same time as the matrix and all of those things have a common denominator of like recognizing that this is all not real. Um, and it's interesting that those all popped up at the same time. And now what we have is the kind of multiverse thing of like everything, everything's a multiverse. Everything is, uh, every movie series has to have multiple things and you can bring back nostalgic stuff, but it all gets into this plot where, oh, there's all these timelines now. And I think that's a funny little um, evolution from, from like 20, 25 years ago. Yes. And, and, and also another movie, I haven't seen this, uh, but a movie that came out at exactly the same time was The 13th Floor. And Todd McGowan oh, says yeah. that's even better than The Matrix. It's very good. And it's the same kind of thing. So, yeah, you're interested. Cool. At the end of this, from Dark City, The 13th Floor, The Matrix, and The Truman Show, they're all exploring and, a similar issue. Yeah, and it was all right before, like, Y2K, too. So I think I'm sure that had some kind of play and, like, the anxieties that were, were going on. But the... The simulation thing of oh we're <clears throat> you know there's there's all these different programs running it's for one it's a it's an idea that always sticks with the the level of the technology that we have like we're always using the metaphors of technology the current metaphors of technology but it is the same essentially fantasy of the um just the we're in a dream of a supreme being our whole lives are the dream of a um turtle or whatever it's like uh, yes. somewhere cosmic whatever and it's just the same thing in different clothes i guess which is yeah and yeah the philosopher who i actually quite like he's an irish one of the few irish great irish philosophers is uh george barclay um uh and he his he was the kind of true idealist and uh, for him, yes, we are all in the mind of God. We are, nothing yeah. exists. Um, and it's actually, it's, it, one is as a fascinating philosophical frame. And, but as you, you're saying there, it's, like, it's almost like 
he's kind of the philosopher of today in some ways. There's there's definitely techno uh, uh, thinkers, techno posthumanists who have very similar views to to Berkeley, um, and uh, we should do an episode on him someday because it's it's fascinating, you know. Very interesting, but that that idea of multiple. I was I was thinking when my friend was telling me about it, when like all of these multiple simulations running to get the uh, to answer the question of what is dusting, which is the the Freudian question. What is the essential black box of the other's desire? I I love the metaphor when I listen to that because I go that it's actually it's beautiful to have a a vision of a highly advanced like absolutely like at the pinnacle of technological innovation a society that runs millions of simulations to try to answer the fundamental question which is what does the other desire i mean that's the psycho that's why psychoasby is is the fundamental question is what does the other desire and the fundamental insight is i desire the other's desire like if a technological civilization has to put all of their resources into millions of simulations to answer this question. It's another beautiful metaphor for uh, for how much we desire the other's desire, how much we want to be in it and to capture it and to be to orbit it. Um, and I, I think just sometimes it's the inability to 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 see the metaphor makes us literalize it. So I think it's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, it's like the simulators, the, the, the supreme beings are, we're the NPCs and they're the, um, they're the, the ones get throwing us little diamonds and stuff. And being yeah. like, we just say the same thing. They say the same thing. And then there's all these NPCs happening. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's actually, I've been reading a little bit of, uh, the philosopher Fichte and Fichte's view in a nutshell, if I can do justice to it, as he says, like, in the beginning, there is an I, right? There, let's call it God, but the absolute I. It's not really God. It could be God, but he calls it the absolute I. And this absolute I uh, uh, conceptualizes itself. It thinks about itself. So in order to think about itself, it has to separate itself from itself. So the universe is the absolute I's self-reflection, yeah. reflection on itself. And then in that universe, that universe has given birth to eyes, which are people like us, sub egos, which are again trying to understand ourselves. And so now the universe, so we now, through looking at the universe, are really understanding ourselves. So, you know, projection, everything we see in the universe is in a sense a reflection of us, and everything in the universe is a reflection of the absolute I. And that kind of means that the whole of the universe is like a computer game programmed by this absolute eye that reflects it we're the characters that this absolute eye is expressing itself through only if you imagine a computer game where we play it for a while and then the character starts to act itself from all of the stuff we put into it it starts to take on its own actions but all reflecting the fact that we originally were controlling it um this is this re- kind of very consistent and very bizarre view of the universe that we are the NPCs. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, we are the extensions of the absolute I encountering itself. Yeah. If uh, if there's anyone listening to this um, <laughs> and you have an editing ability, please juxtapose that um, statement or statements that Pete just made with the gang, 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 ha, ha, ha. Because I would like to see it side by side, and I think you can make a really great TikTok uh, out of that, of you just being like, we're all the expression of the ultimate uh, gang gang, gang gang, gang gang. Uh, it'd be great. But I agree with everything, I guess, that you're saying, and I've never heard of Fichte, though, but I'm Fichte to figure it out. Um, yeah. What was I going to... I had something, actually, to... Well, I can bounce off that. what you said there, as well. Think about it for a second, because I watch you... Well, like, Oh, go ahead. The, the multiverse thing, the only thing I was going to say is the multiverse thing is also, I think, in line with, I don't know if it be identity politics, but just the sheer, the the sort of intersectional understanding of where we all are at right now, the postmodern kind of uh, critique of all the factors coming in. You're this, you, you know, you feel this way because you are, I, or I feel this way because I'm male, I feel this way because I'm white, I feel this way because I grew up in... A certain area and a certain economic condition and i have a certain orientation and i have a certain sort of amount of whatever um, uh, 
privileged under I have a, a, a certain myopic viewpoint that's informed by all of these streams of existence that I sort of represent and I sort of exist in a lattice work of it does still seem to align with the multiverse theory that is so popular right now where it's like there's another me that's in this particular situation there's another me who is a little bit who where this never happened and I'm a different person because of that um so it's yes. fun that's a very good that's point yes yeah no that's very good because in this notion of the multiverse yeah even the fundamental uh, principles of physics for some people believe are different so yeah you're exactly right that that it, it does yeah. have a postmodernist vibe to it where there is it's a, a form of um uh his, historicism it's a for which is starcism is a kind of relativism it's a form of um kind of uh perspectivalism where everything situational. is situational yeah so that's very good and of course the you know, it's, it's a critique of, of universalism, um, which I'm very critical of because, yeah, I'm always looking for, yes, yeah, so what is it that the commonality in all these different multiverses? And that's, that's why in terms of this metaphor of the, um, these are millions of simulations or m this multiverse of all these different possibilities, uh, I'm going like, okay, there is, there is something that you will find that links everything but the reason why these aliens can't find it is it's not something positive every time you have yeah. something positive that you think oh this is it no that just portrays a particularity hidden in universalism so we might say for example oh uh we believe in meritocracy and then you go yes but hey meritocracy has benefited some people and some groups over others and so you tear it apart tear it apart tear it apart so every time you try to find a universal yeah. you can tear it apart but what you can't tear apart is the universal of negation itself. Um, and eventually, the, in fact, you know what? The aliens might have figured it out right now in the fundamentalists. This was the simulation where they come to understand. Exactly. Yeah, so there you go. Well, they might, I might hope switch we get, off now. And they can send the check. Uh, yes. Because if, uh, we, if we got here from Pinky Doll, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. Do you want to know about a weird book that I'm reading right now? For oh, fun? please. Yes. This is because it's somewhat related. It's called Time Loops. Ooh. It's all these stories about precognition, retro causation, and the unconscious. And it's really fun tales about like people who have precognitive dreams. And then they go into, and then he goes into the skeptical sort of being like, here's the reasons that this doesn't work. And then he goes into all these different fun examples. And it's so much fun. It is such, this is my version of like, entertainment i guess oh, and i'm reading so this a long time more street. seriously i love <laughs> yeah. it and i was like your buddy would love it too because it's like this tale of like just really specific dreams that people have and then they come true and it's one of those things that does make you go oh yeah maybe it is a simulation or maybe there is the argument i think that he makes is not that they're not is basically that we have an in a very natural but untapped ability that spans time to prepare ourselves for future events. It's so it's so great and so science fictiony. Yes, I, I wonder. You're making me think. Like, like this is the, from a structuralist perspective. You could say that the two there's two weird things about myths, which you'll know. Is one is that they're so different. Like whenever you're reading a mytholo,gy and Levi Strauss says this, but when you're reading mytho mythologies. Anything seems to be able to happen. The moon can have sex with the sun. Some animal can talk. You know, like anything could happen. Yeah. And then at this other extreme, they all seem really similar, right? So there's these two opposites that are that that mythologists that, that anthropologists have to, have had to wrestle with 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 mythology. Is they're weird. Anything can happen, and yet it doesn't. And yet, like there's there's underlying similarities. And I do wonder whether. Like, that's what it's like with movies. There's a, you go on to Netflix, there's so many movies, but when you boil it down, action movies you, into their genres and certain comedies, they're actually quite similar. And in a similar way, we can have dreams that come true because there's not that many things that can happen. You know, if you know what I mean? Like, that, um, that, that our dreams, when you look at the underlying structures, there's only, a, you know, only so many things can can happen in our lives so if someone dreams of a particular thing and it happens 
I'm going like, it would be more weird if that didn't happen. But that's a skeptic in me, you know. That is a skeptic. Yeah, that's the law of large numbers, I yes. think is what he yes. refers to it as. Uh, uh, and then it goes into that, which is very fun. But it is, yeah, it, you you can't, it's like um, plain, like I'll, I've had so many plain dreams over the years and only recently, um, I haven't had one in like maybe a couple years. And then like last week I had one where, I was like back in a plane and I was like, I woke up and I was like, oh, fun. Another plane. I was like, I wonder what that's about. Another, uh, it's like the only type of recurring dream that I've, one of the only types I've ever had. And, uh, and I was like, man, it's, it is, there's so much, we all, planes are such a motif in dreams that it's not uncommon for that to happen. And yeah. so it's just also, it's like, oh, I wonder what triggered that again. But anyway, that's yeah. beside the point. Um, well, I, I had a good right. example. A good friend of mine, um, he was telling me about this study that they did where, and so what happened in the study is the, the experimenter got a series of crosswords that had not been done before, had never been done, and a series of crosswords that had been done before in a national newspaper. So it had been done by hundreds of thousands of people, if not more. And they did this experiment in a controlled group. And the crosswords that nobody had ever done before the grip found harder to do but the crossword puzzles that millions of people had done before they find up to 20 percent easier to do and this is this idea of you know collective unconscious we're taking in these have been done where we're pulling in this stuff so he told me about this and sadly i did my whole thing of going study doesn't exist and he's like, no, no, it does. The study doesn't exist. And yeah, sure enough, it doesn't exist. It's um, <laughs> it floats around. There's like, it floats around as if it exists, but yeah. it doesn't exist. Like a meme. <laughs> yeah, it's like a meme. Uh, <laughs> it was in the, the Lake uh, film. Yeah. One of the things, this was a similar thing where it's a study, and I, you know, I, I'm not going in with a fine-tooth comb on this stuff, and so I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was something, a, a similar thing, controlled environment, and they were asking, like, I don't know if it was a multiple choice thing, but it was something about the maybe the meaning of words, like very obscure words that mo- that you wouldn't have heard of. <clears throat> and they did, um, they tried to get people to sort of say what they mean or something. It maybe wasn't that, because I, I can already see how that wouldn't work. It was something a little bit more convincing. But they found out uh, afterward they would learn what some of those words were. And when they went through, they were better at knowing the words that they were going to find out later. Yeah. So that would be, yeah, that would be fun. And this is where, yeah, I go like, there's these really interesting studies that generally, but tend not to exist. So I I go like, I want to see, like, um, I'll have to look into that. This is so fun. This is, Pete, we got to hang out because this is one of my favorite things to do is say things where I can tell. That you're trying to nicely say bullshit, but you, you're not saying bullshit. But you're kind of like, how do I? Uh, uh, <laughs> probably doesn't. Uh, probably doesn't exist. Probably not real. Let's see. Uh, I, you you can explain. Um, you finally know how to explain UFOs and ghosts. Uh, what people see when they see them, they don't. Or whatever. <laughs> That's That's right. Yes, I, you you can you can always tell if someone's seen a UFO. They haven't. Because they did. <laughs> yeah. They didn't. Um, yeah. That's great. Um, I, I had like, I mean, the funny thing is, so I have a f- friend who, um, she was working with uh, somebody who's a kind of guru figure and does this kind of interesting form of therapy. And I don't know actually that what, you know, I'm going to tell you the story and we'll find out what happens. But um, this figure wrote to her with just a very short email and said something about a particular plant that he thought might mean something to her. And he said, I don't know why I'm writing this to you. I just, you know, I think this might mean something. And she thought about it and she was like, actually, you know what? A family member of mine, very close, you know, uh, a parent who that plant was very important to. And they were, of course, very surprised by this email and potentially all the more drawn into what this person is doing. But the, the, obviously the question I had is, well, that's very interesting, but would there be anywhere online that that would be seen? And she's like, no, no. And she's like, well, my, my parent did have a very obscure blog and they did blog about the horticulture 
It's like, I'm, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying, <laughs> but I'm just going, it's yeah, yeah. best to be skeptical. And the reason why I said that is not to burst bubbles. It's to go, there is a basic principle. It doesn't hold for everything. So people notice it doesn't hold for everything, but the greater the claim, the more the evidence. And it's a human claim. Who was it claim. that said that? Uh, David Hume, I think, is it? Was well, he's famous yeah. for it anyway? I go for, but David Hume is very famous for her kind of evidentialism. And mm-hmm. you know, if I if I come in positivism, to, uh, yeah, well, yeah, he's kind of like a forerunner actually of positivism. Yeah, and th- this is why, you know, you can poke holes in it because positivism can be you can poke holes in it. But but evidentialism is a good kind of rule of thumb. And if I come to you and I say, oh my, Elliot, I nearly got hit by a car on the way to your house. You go, okay, because there's loads of cars and you're like, yeah, it could have happened. But if I say, Elliot, I nearly got eaten by a crocodile on the way to your house. You would reasonably, even though you like me and I'm your friend, you reasonably could say, hmm, like, have you got any evidence for that? Just because the claim is kind of, it, it's a bigger yes. claim. and it's a, So in the same way, um, I'm always trying to get people to go, the bigger the claim, the more the evidence. Doesn't mean you don't believe it. It just means that, but weirdly, we can be the opposite. Weirdly, people can sometimes be the bigger the claim, the less the evidence. Um, this is one of those things where you can believe multiple things at the same time and stay very, uh, I've had this issue with some of my pals regarding um, some of the alien stuff where people, like, it is okay to say probably not 100% of the time, and also still be like, what if it's fun? But people don't like doing that. They want to be like, no, I. it convinced me this is it, this is it, this is it. And I'm. you can be guilty of it, but it's, you can have, you can hold things. Yeah. You can just hold the things in your head. I love how you, I love how you, you believe, I love how you can believe something absolutely. And then with just a little smile. <laughs> You know, uh-huh. you go like, just, there's a little smile that goes, my goodness, you're holding those two things simultaneously, enjoying the belief and yet, and yet yep. also holding it lightly. And that's it. Yeah. That is not love in a way. Like you, you completely trust somebody. And yet, of course, know that maybe you can't like, they're a human being. I can't like, there's a certain thing where you give yourself wholly to something and simultaneously can have questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, and on that, what okay. about the Mexican aliens? Give me an update. Any, um, Dude, I'm fascinated by this. This is this will come out by the time I'm sure it's done. The amount of people who still are like believing that this thing is that these things are real is tough because uh, I don't believe that they are in any sense. But they did, they did take it to medical people who I guess X-rayed and said that they were that these were real bodies that have not been assembled. Um, they, and they, you know. I, and people are believing it and it's like i don't it, the guy is a hoax he's a hoaxer and it's really fascinating and if it maybe they'll be actual aliens but it certainly seems apparently too in the video they're like passing around this this uh <laughs> this alien mummy somebody said they pass it around like a bong like they're just like <laughs> holding it up like a stiff doll and like normally if you see archaeologists they're like they're so gingerly about it and they're like gentle and these People are just like holding it up, like there you go, and it's uh, so great, dude. It is, it is the best, the best development. That it is gonna, you know, it, it it makes it so ludicrous and absurd, and that part sucks because I, you know, uh, yeah. I don't like when it's so it muddies the water in an already ambiguous, ridiculous world. But um, yeah, I guess the guy is just doubling down, and now they're getting sued by Peru for probably robbing graves. So I heard uh, about that. It, yes. <laughs> Does not get better than that. I lo- I'm like, this is where, this is one of those things where I see it and I'm like, I'm invested, but I also kind of want to write a movie about it that is like Veep or um, the British version. Um, what's the one, the British oh, version? In the Thick of It. In the Thick of It, yeah. Like that, there's so much stuff here with UFOs that is so funny, but um, yeah. And hopefully they're real. Good. Yeah. yeah. And, in, and in the Thick of It series about... UFO aliens and that would be hilarious. That would be brilliant. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not to say that it's not um, all real. But man, because it's just the, the 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 willingness of people to believe. I think is is uh, pretty wild. But who knows? Maybe maybe it's real, Pete. That's the other yeah. side. Who knows? We don't know. I haven't right. gotten my hands on it yet. Great. Well, here, do you have a takeaway for the NPC? And I'll do we takeaway. 
Uh, um, I love the NPC trend. I think it's a great example of TikTok. I hope everybody gets involved with it. At least look it up once or twice just to see. It will make your IQ maybe drop a little bit. But at the same time, there's something incredibly fascinating about it. And I think it's great. And I think the internet, if this is where we're at now, God knows where we're going to be at in 10 years. But I'll probably dream about it anyway. So thanks. Very good. And I this this conversation has kind of led me back to that old German idealist idea that you know, maybe we're all NPCs or the, what we can see in the NPC is we can ask ourselves the question, to what extent are we sometimes the vessel of unthinking ideas that we pass on, that we imbibe from How many times a day? corporations? Yes, exactly. You know, and now with algorithms and, you know, there's a, how much are we in terms of our belief about, you know, political issues and cultural issues, how much... Are we being fed a certain vision that we then kind of propagate and don't even know that we're NPCs? So like in some respects, it's kind of good to look at someone like Pinky Doll and go, okay, to what extent am I Pinky Doll? To what extent are we all like that? Um, Is there a way to break free of that? Or is there at least a way for me to subjectively uh, be more involved in my beliefs to kind of try to do more of the heavy lifting um i think those are all really good questions it's kind of like and, and maybe we're all npcs <laughs> and there's nothing we can do but definitely there's elements where we are we become vessels for the big other we become uh unthinking receptacles like uh, megaphones of, yeah megaphones for that and you know one of my worries about society at the moment is <clears throat> We actually lack a, a, a coherent big other. So Levi-Strauss talks about these things called zero institutions. And from what I understand about a zero institution is it's an institution that doesn't exist, but it kind of, you triangulate it, it kind of is, it exists in a virtual way in the sense of, you know, in, in Ireland, everyone buys a round of drinks. There's a very sophisticated grammar of when you buy a round, when you don't. How much money have you got? Do you not have very much money? Then you would buy maybe less rounds and somebody had more money. There's a whole grammar around it. There's no institution that guards those rules. You will not find an institution that says this is the rules of how to buy a round of drinks. But you kind of know it. That's a zero institution. It kind of doesn't exist. It insists. And I think we're missing zero institutions um, which is where we all are unified around unthinking things. So we're all, in Ireland, we're all NPCs when it comes to buying a round. I don't have to think about it. I go into a bar, I know what to do. It only messes up if uh, a tourist comes and doesn't know the rules. So in a, in a way, being an NPC is not always a bad thing. We kind of need some zero institution sometimes that unify us all. Um, a good example uh, I read once was during the protest, this woman was running away from a police officer. I don't know where the protest was. It wasn't in America, but it was a protest. She was running away, and the police officer was running after her to arrest her. And she was wearing heels, and she her ankle went, and her shoe fell off. And she kept running, and the police officer stopped and picked up her shoe, and she stopped, and he handed it to her. And that's an example of a zero institution, is that in the midst of all of this chaos, of, there's the protester, whether right or wrong, there's a police officer, right or wrong, there's this, this is all going on. But then there was this thing that they both shared, which was, oh, the, the woman's shoe fell off and he picked it up, was chivalrous and gave it back. And in that moment of the zero institution being enacted, unconsciously as an NPC, you know, it's just kind of like you just did it. Uh, a moment happened, she wasn't arrested, and, you know, something something else could, could occur. Very so, human. Yeah, very human. So we are missing, I mean, even Thanksgiving in America might be a zero institution of sorts where, you know, no matter whether you're conservative or liberal, you get round that table and you all give thanks. But today, even that has been destroyed. I think even that is being under threat. Uh, so there's a good and a bad side to being an NPC, and um, maybe this yeah. episode we can uh, we've we've brought some of that up. My favorite um, time of being an NPC, I love it. It's when I'm at Target and I'm checking out, or I'm at a gro- I'm at buying anything from a cashier, and you do the game where you go, "How are you doing? Doing good? How are you doing? 
Right. I love that script, and I will yes. I will ride that horse until I die. I love yes. I love the exchange that both of us know that we don't give a shit, and we're ha- we're just hello. Yep. Thank you so much. And it's like there's a comfort in that. And I enjoy it very much. I don't That's go into American the whole thing. One. People are like, you don't really want to know how my day is going. I don't care. I don't no. want you. I don't want you to want to care how I'm doing. Yes, it's a zero Just, institution, and and I and that's a great example because as a non-American, at first I didn't understand that because it was an NPC thing. You guys just do it naturally. But I first time I go into a shop and the shopkeeper asks, "Oh, how are you doing?" I'm like, "What? What? what? Are you, you know, <laughs> um, you know, what do you want to do?" And then start telling them about my day. Oh well, you know, f- f- had a had a bit of a tough day actually. I really appreciate you asking. Do you have time to sit yeah. down and have a chat about it? <laughs> so that's a zero institution. And you just made me think of another one as well. That's a beautiful one that uh, is under threat a little bit. Um, oh, I forget. But yeah, but that's a beautiful example of of like something that in America you all do, and in a, in a little brief moment. It brings you all together, and it's an unthinking thing, yeah. Yeah, very nice. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to this episode of The Fundamentalists. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, feel free to leave us comments. Let us know what you think about it. Please feel free to stitch together some of Pete's highlights here with <laughs> Pinky Doll, because I think they're a match made in... Um, in the simulation so oh, thanks, and, and i and i thought of i thought of the other i'll give you this one because it's my favorite in ireland yes. it's you always refuse food twice and you accept oh, yeah. food the You're... third time yeah and that's a you know so when i first went to america that's it that's a zero institution no one tells you to do it but you always do it it's like oh would you like something to eat oh no i'm fine are oh, you seriously oh no i couldn't i'm absolutely stuffed seriously would you have something oh yeah i'm famished right and then when you go to america and they don't know that institution it's like uh, would you like some food you go oh no no i couldn't i'm absolutely stuffed and they're like okay you're like how rude what do you do? Like you have to ask me three times. Um, so that's again a zero decision. The, the, in Ireland, you didn't even know. I didn't even know it existed until I went to another culture. Yeah. And and then I was like, oh, what 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 happened there? You know. And those zero institutions, I think, are important. Anyway, that's that's um, great. I really like this conversation. It was very nice. I remember one time. I think we were living together, and you offered something, and I was like, do you need me to say no twice, <laughs> or can I just say yes? Yes. I will take one of your snacks but anyway cool all right thanks everybody take care bye bye